Thank you. Thank you for coming. I don't want to be negative, but I don't think anything's ever going to get better ever again. I don't want to bump anybody out, but I think this is pretty much the way it's going to be for however long it takes us to polish this planet off. And don't misunderstand me, I have no hope. Um, I think if you have hope, what are you, fucking seven? So, again, I don't want to be negative, but you kind of know it's true, right? In your heart, you know that it's fucking over, right? I know it's hard to handle. Culturally, politically, climate-wise. What are you gonna do about the climate? Nothing. I think in the back of our heads, we're like, well, you know, I, I, I don't want to get in the way of any of that Swedish teenager's doing, you know? <laughs> like, Greta's got focus, she's young, I think she's gonna nail it. <laughs> and look, I don't know, I, you know, I, I have t moments where I'm like, what can I do? And then you're like, what, is that Noki? You know, so I just... <laughs> Look, I'm doing a, a thing that uh, occasionally I'll, well, yeah, I'll do it now. Uh, like a lot of these ideas that I'm, I'm playing with, you know, they're, they're hard to do comedically. So I've been working on a, a one-man show, sort of a serious one-man show, and I workshop it during the comedy act occasionally. Um, I'll do it for you now. It's, uh, it's called Voices from the Future. This is a multi-character, one-person show where I play all the characters. If you ever are like, you know, where's Mark? It's still me, I'm here. <laughs> So, this is a one-person show. It's called Voices from the Future. It's just random people saying random things in the very near future. The show right now is running uh, about a minute and 30. Um, I picture that when I, when I produce it, it'll be in a small black box theater. You know, it'll, it'll be dark and the lights will like come up on each character, but I'll just kind of mime that, but you'll get it. Um, some references are to the West Coast, but I think you, you'll, you'll get them. And maybe I'll throw one that's uh, in that's more appropriate uh, to this coast. You know, I have to do a whole new character, but I think I can do it. All right, so this, uh, this is the first guy. Voices from the future. Okay, first guy. Lights come up. How close are the fires? Lights down. <laughs> All right, this, this is the second guy. Lights up. Will the fifth booster work on the Zephyr strain? Because I can't, I can't see out of this eye, Doc. I can't see. Lights down. All right, this is uh, this guy. All right, this is. Hold on, this guy's sad. Okay. Lights up. You mean you mean there's no more water? Lights down. All right, wait, there's a, okay, so an East Coast one. All right, this guy's, uh, all, right, all right, okay, okay, here we go. Lights up. Do they have the floatable seating at the restaurant downtown? <laughs> okay. Now, this last guy, so if you're doing this at your community theater or uh, your high school, uh, you want to cast like a working class guy for this last guy because he's kind of the comic relief at the end. Okay, lights up. You know, 130's not that hot. <laughs> Once you get out in it, it's not that bad. Don't be a pussy and hydrate. <laughs> Thank you, Voices from the Future, appreciate it.
So, like, I'm trying to cover a lot of territory or a lot of uh, things in this first uh, chunk of this show, and it gets a little heavy, but you'll be all right. Um, <laughs> there's a, I think we have a stupid people problem, and I'm not saying that as a condescending person or, a, or, or I'm not a genius, but I kind of miss old-timey stupid. You know, I miss back-in-the-day stupid. I miss, like... 10 years ago stupid, you know, stupid that had a little humility where you could say things like, you're kind of dumb, they'd be like, eh, I know. <laughs> well, it's good you know that. Well, I'm not that dumb. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, good talk. Good luck with everything. But now there's a new stupid, a brazen, sort of shameless, confident stupid that's just loaded up with all kinds of bullshit information. It has a, a tone to it. I'll try to do a little of it for you, the tone. Oh, so you're a scientist? <laughs> and you can't pull that same thing you used to be able to pull with the old stupids. You can't be like, you're kind of dumb, because they go, what's your source? <laughs> what are you talking about? Where are you getting your information? Just talking to you right now. <laughs> you got to do your own research, bro. I'm doing it in real time. <laughs> and I think my study's almost concluded. <laughs> and I'm stepping away slowly. So now we're just kind of half waiting for the stupids to choose a uniform. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Are you nervous? Isn't it weird that, like, you know, you get your information one place and they get theirs another place? Everyone gets it in different places, but there's definitely a strain of stupid where you hear guys who are like, you know, you don't have to get any vaccines ever. I was listening to this podcast. Most of the time, that's not going a good place. <laughs> I was listening to this podcast. You know, I was kind of in and out. But uh, I'm pretty sure the guy said that if you take a human growth hormone suppository and stick it up your ass hard until you get a boner, but it's not a gay boner because it's your finger, so why would it be gay? <laughs> And I don't know if you know this, but there's a man clit in your asshole that I found when I was watching UFC once. I was just poking around up there. And I told my bros about him, like, do you know about the man clit in your asshole? They're like, what the fuck, dude? I'm like, all right, you live your life. Anyway, so when you get the boner, you stick it into a warm elk's heart, which you can order from the guy's website. Comes three in a package, frozen, and you just fuck it like a pocket pussy or a fleshlight. It's not gay, it's an elk's heart. How would that be gay? And then you come in it, and you just throw it on a Traeger or whatever kind of grill you have. I have a Weber, but it doesn't matter. And you cook it up, and you, like, eat it on a sandwich. Or It's not gay to eat your own cum if it's cooked. Anyway, if you do that and you eat it, you, you don't have to get vaccinated for anything. Pretty sure that's what the guy said. I just kind of in and out was ordering supplements and uh, a new flashlight and... Uh, you know, the uniforms are in, so I wanted to get a jump on that. <laughs> and then he, I think the guy interviewed a professor of misogyny from Canada <laughs> that was really smart, man. He really knew what he was talking about. Someday when I have a woman, it, I'm going to use some of it. <laughs> and now there's all these comedians like, I'm an anti-woke comic, man. I'm anti-woke, and that's why I don't get work. Really? You think that's the reason? <laughs> yeah, man, we can't say anything anymore. Like, me and all the other anti-woke comedians, we all want to say our version of the same three things, and you just can't... You can't say anything anymore. 
And I'm pretty sure you can say whatever you want, really. He's like, no, you can't, man. You can. There's just maybe consequences. <laughs> See, that's the fucked up thing, the consequences. Well, maybe when you get your uniform, you can make that the first order of business, <laughs> is getting rid of the consequences. <laughs> no, man, I'm anti-woke. <laughs> Look, there's problems. You know, I don't want to... But I don't want to say there's a, a problem with Christian fascism, but... <laughs> there might be a problem. <laughs> and I'm not saying you're all in on it, if you're Christians, but, you know, you kind of are. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, if you really think a flying Jew is going to come back <laughs> and make everything okay, isn't that like mental illness? <laughs> I don't want to make any, anyone uncomfortable because I know a lot of you know that we have, you know, as, as I'm speaking, and I, I guess I should make it clear that we, we have found recently that there is actually something that brings most people together. It's anti-Semitism. <laughs> and yeah. I'm saying that as a Jew, and... As a Jew, I'm saying that uh, we will replace you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's happening. We're all part of it. We're doing it. We're all doing our bit. You, uh, you, there's an app now we can replace you with. And it's a commission thing. We get a certain kickback for the number of you replaced. I talked to my brother last week. He replaced like 76 last week. And every quarter, we get a check from Global Control HQ. <laughs> it's got the cool logo with the planet and the Star David and gold leaf around it, signed by George Soros. <laughs> it's kind of cool. It's almost frameable, but we cash them. So, <laughs> and I don't know, like, I'm, I'm not religious. I'm a Jew. So... <laughs> And there's a difference between Jews and Christians, obviously. I mean, I think if the relationship with God is different, if you look at the, the, the Testaments, the Old Testament, it seemed like the relationship with Jews and God was basically, what? <laughs> what, what do you want me to do? <laughs> now? <laughs> all right, all right, don't yell, don't yell. <laughs> Whereas I think the Christian relationship is more like, uh, <laughs> So, <laughs> but there's not a racket. I don't see the Jew thing as a racket. The Christian thing I see is a racket. It's almost like, you know, here's the New Testament. Make it your own and grift as you will. <laughs> right? I mean, and there's, there's a pitch to it that's kind of genius. And if you really break it down, the pitch is basically, everything will be amazing when you're dead. Put some money in the jar. <laughs> but look, the real problem right now with, uh, you know, Christian fascism <laughs> is that, you know, Roe v. Wade was taken down. Women, all women in this country have lost their physical autonomy and their rights. And the weird thing is, I don't hear men talking about it. I hear no men 
talking about it, which is unusual to me because if you're a guy with any game at all, you've paid for at least two of those. So you had something to say at some point in time. I think most men are pro-choice, usually desperately. <laughs> Baby, it's up to you, it's your choice, but not a great time, right? <laughs> I mean, for either of us, it's just not a good time. I mean, fuck, right? Fuck. <laughs> no, I'm not mad at you, it's just my whole fucking life. I'm not crying, just do what you want. I'll pay for it, I'll drive you down there, I'll take you to the place we can get pancakes at that place you like. or the entertainer's version, I'll fly back into town, just tell me the day. <laughs> it's hard to talk to people of faith about uh, abortion if they have the whole murder frame in place. If it's murder to somebody, there's really no conversation, there's no way to bridge it. You can't do the like, no, it's just a cluster of cells, not unlike a tumor, it's just going a different direction. Yeah. with the same result sometimes. It's just a longer game, really. <laughs> but it, a, part, a lot of it has to do with the language of choice, which is, it, it's, it's practical, it's medical. You know, abortion, abortion clinic, easy to demonize, scary. Like if we shifted some of the language, we, we might be able to bridge uh, a gap and have a conversation with people of faith. Maybe just, maybe we call them angel factories. I mean, that would be at least a conversation starter, right? I didn't, I, don't, I didn't say abortion clinic, I said an angel factory. And how if the concern is getting souls to heaven, we need more of them, we need more. Now, Christians have, have corrected me on this. One guy wrote me an email, it was a fairly heady email. It had two, two levels to it. The first level was, there, uh, the number of angels is finite. Dead children do not become angels. They're separate things. There's only a, a given number of angels, good and bad. So you were wrong there. <laughs> and the other, the other thing was, if, if a soul needs, is gonna go to heaven, it needs to be baptized. So I'm like, all right, well there's, so that's, we can troubleshoot around that. <laughs> right? I mean, there's a lot of priests around with a lot of free time, and historically, that's not a great thing. <laughs> but I say get the priests out in front of the angel factories with the water and the, whatever, the kind of Latin hokum they need to do the little dance around, <laughs> and just do it for each woman coming in, and then, boom, guaranteed soul right up to heaven every time. <laughs> and I think that the vibe outside uh, angel factory with the Christians hanging out will be different than those at the abortion clinic. I think it'd be more festive. Just a... <laughs> just standing around watching the counter on the side of the building. <laughs> Maybe there's a bell on top of it. Bing, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise Jesus. When the bell rings, an angel gets its wings. We are blessed today, we are blessed.
Thank you, lady. Put a little money in the jar. You're not off the hook. So, okay. I know it's a lot to get through, especially from a Jew. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I do this. I don't know why every show, there's part of me that just wants to keep poking the Jew thing. <laughs> just so people who think they don't have anything against Jews under their breath says, we fucking get it, man. <laughs> I, just, I just want you to find that part of you. <sighs> All right. So, I'm, uh, I'm getting old. I'm 59. It's not really old, but it's old. I'm in a, eh, whatever. I mean, it's, it's no victory. <laughs> Just luck. So, but it's weird. You get to a certain age where, like, like almost every night, I, I, right before I go to sleep, I'm like, is this it? <laughs> right? And then the next thought is always like, I gotta get rid of some shit. <laughs> I got too much shit, man. But I don't always know that I'm getting older. I don't always feel it because I think it's a few reasons. Because I don't have kids. I think if you have kids, you can kind of see you're dying in your kids. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's cynical and I don't really know, but I have to imagine at some point you're like, happy birthday, son. How old are you today? 17? Fuck, I'm dying. <laughs> I'm sorry, I meant to say have fun today. I, I don't know, I <laughs> guess I was thinking out loud a little bit. Mirrors don't really help. I mean, they do, but they, you can't trust them. You have a relationship with your mirror. It's the same thing you look at every day. You have a codependent relationship with the mirror that you look in every day where you gaslight yourself into believing that you're, you're, you're hanging in there. <laughs> I don't know what your ritual is, but it's probably something along the lines of... Then you walk out into the world totally deluded <laughs> that you look the age you think you look. The only time I know how I'm getting old or that I am getting old is when I look at pictures of myself. Then it's, it's somehow it's clearer to me because it's separate. And I look at pictures and I'm like, oh my God, look at my, my old head. Look at my old big head. When did my head get big and old? And it did. And there's nothing you can do under your head that's going to diminish from your old head. No matter how you dress, everyone, people are going to be like, cool boots. Old head, though, right? <laughs> yes, it is an old head. It's an old, honest head. I do nothing to it. Can't dye my hair. Who the hell? How can you dye your hair in your mid-50s as a dude? And just, what, do you just expect everyone in your life to play along with that decision? Like, <laughs> you just show up one day and everyone's like, oh, fuck, I guess that's who he is now. What do you think, man? You think it, it, does it look good? I'm like, what are you going for, Dracula? If you're going for Dracula, you nailed it. I did it myself. I can tell you, you dyed your scalp. I think it's a little late to go through a goth period, don't you? Am I wrong? And I think about what kind of old guy I'm going to be. I, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I'm approaching it, but like, I know guys in their 80s. 
Like, and I've decided that there's like two kinds of uh, old guys in their 80s. Like, there's the kind of guy that no matter what kind of life he had, you know, he's got some humility. He knows where he's at in his life. He, you know, he's got a certain amount of acceptance. You know, the kind of guy that's like, yeah, you know, life was hard, but, you know, it was up and down. But I'm, I'm just happy to have another day. I'm grateful, and I'm just going to sit here and watch the water. <laughs> right? That guy. And then there's the other guy in his 80s that no matter what kind of life he had, in his mind, he got fucked somehow. <laughs> the whole thing was bullshit. It was all bullshit. No money left. No fucking money. Two ex-wives. No money. One of my kids doesn't talk to me. The one that does is a moron. <laughs> Fuck the whole thing. It was bullshit. Just gonna sit here and watch this asshole watch the water. <laughs> my best friend here, the water watcher. Not mad at this guy. Not today you're not, but yesterday. Shut up. Don't talk. <laughs> I have old guys in my life. My dad's still alive. My dad is... Uh, 84 years old. Uh, don't know. Don't. I get. Don't. Hold your applause. Because I have to preface this material by with some honesty. My, for most of my life, my father was a very self-centered, you know, bipolar, emotionally abusive, narcissistic fuck. Now, the only reason I'm telling you that is because I don't want you to have the wrong amount of empathy <laughs> when I do these next few jokes. I, I don't want you. I don't want you rooting for the wrong guy. <laughs> My father's 84, recently diagnosed with dementia. We're all pretty excited. Um, <laughs> everyone's dealing with this. Everyone's dealing with this. And I got to be honest with you, he's right at the beginning. So he's still got almost all his old memories. Day of stuff's a little tricky. But I have to be honest. He's very pleasant to be around right now. He's open, he's kind of funny, he's warm. Look, I guess what I'm saying is, I know it's a, a terrible disease, but don't miss the sweet spot. It, it's, <laughs> I think it's right at the beginning. It's just lovely, it really is just lovely. And I'll just walk up to him and be like, how you doing, Dad, how you doing? I rub his little head. People get uncomfortable when they, when they think of me rubbing my dad's head. What am I supposed to be doing? What's my name? <laughs> where do you live? Do you know where you live? <laughs> what day is today? That's what they've earned at 84, is for you to selfishly yell at them, <laughs> thinking it helps, as they look at you confused and crying. But I'm showing up for him, which is interesting, you know, because uh, we did have a difficult relationship. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of nice to, to, to live to be my age and, and have your parents alive. Because, look, I'm one of those people. I, I, I have a hard time when people my age say, aren't you a little old to still be mad at your parents? <laughs> no. <laughs> they did it. I, I love my audience, because I just know there's a room full of people that were only had maybe one good parent. <laughs> maybe. It's a, it's a big room full of broken toys in here. <laughs> Every day is a fucking challenge, and you're 
overly sensitive and just <laughs> battling dread all the time and wondering if you're talented. So, so my dad, so he's like, okay, so here's the thing. I'm like, I'm showing up for the guy, like I said before, and it's, it, it is weird, but it, it, something gives way, no matter how difficult the relationship was, it, it was between you and that parent or both of them. Like, you get old enough, and you know, in your mind, you're sort of like, I kind of won. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna go out there, you know? But I go out there and I hang out with him, you know? The dementia's new to him, it's new to me. You know, I don't know his life that well, and I'll take him out to this Chinese place. The last time I was there, we, we go to the Chinese place, and uh, I order, you know, soup and, and some entrees. And we're just sitting there, me and my dad, just sitting there. And he, and he just picks up his soup spoon, and he fills it with soy sauce. <laughs> and he's looking right at me, right in my face. <sighs> and he, he just sucks the spoonful of soy sauce down. And my only thought in that moment was, I didn't know my dad did that. I really haven't gone out to Chinese with him in a long time, I guess. You know, that's wild, right out of the spoon. Then I watch him fill it up again. He filled it up again. He's looking right at me. And I said, is that good? And he said, I like it. He did it three times before my brain was like, he has dementia take the spoon away from him, or he'll drink all the soy sauce one spoonful at a time. So I put the spoon down. Dad, we're going to have food coming. He's like, all right. Now, there he is. Every time I do that to his head, he's like, <laughs> yeah. And look, I know, I know it's a terrible disease, and, uh, you know, and at some point, he's, he's, he's not going to know who I am anymore. I know that. And I also know on that day, I will be truly free. <laughs> hey, Dad, how you feeling? Who the fuck are you? Yes! <laughs> it's over. The most toxic relationship of my life just ended, buddy. Just ended. Who the fuck are you? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I thought I knew you. My bad. My bad. <laughs> so I have this other old man in my life. My mother's still alive, but I can't. I'm going to go easy on her because she's still, you know, cognizant. <laughs> it's not great. But she's got this boyfriend. Do you still call him a boyfriend when they're 85? <laughs> the guy who's fucking my mother is 85 years old. And... I should be nothing but grateful that he's fucking my mother. I, I should thank God every day that John is fucking my mother. Right? It's great. Takes the load off of me. In a metaphorical way. But John's difficult. And it's not because he's fucking my mother. I mean, like... I'm 59, and, is, and he's 85. Is there a point where you grow past the sort of like, why are you fucking this guy, Ma? <laughs> but they've been together a long time. He's just, he's just annoying, you know, and I try to be tolerant, but he's one of these old guys that, you know, he, uh, 
He just talks. He talks a lot. He thinks he's telling stories, but he's not really. They, they don't go anywhere. They don't land. You don't even know they're over, you know, until, until he wistfully says, it was a different time, you know? <laughs> and it's annoying, you know? Like, I'll go over there, and he'll be like, Mark, Mark, come here. Let me tell you something. What? Listen, okay? When I was younger, we used to go to the delicatessen, maybe have a sandwich, some coffee, talk a little bit. It's a different time. <laughs> Is that the whole thing? That's the whole story? <laughs> Why you gotta be a wise ass? It's just not a story. I mean, there was probably a story in there. You know, what deli? Who were you talking to? What kind of sandwich? A lot of options. You chose none of them. Zero. <laughs> I can't talk to you. Good, don't fucking talk to me. Or <laughs> get some sort of narrative art going. Flesh it out a little bit. <laughs> land it, land it. Mark, come here, let me tell you something. What? What is it? Listen, okay? When I was younger, yeah, we used to go out maybe on a Saturday night with the ladies to a show, always shine my shoes, always. Different time. <laughs> not a story, again, not a story. <laughs> Why you gotta be a wise ass? I'm just saying, there was a story in there what show, what ladies, what year? That type of shoe would be a nice detail. Maybe that's just me. I can't talk to you. Good, don't fucking talk to me. Do me a favor. Mark, what? Listen, what, what is it? New York City, okay, yeah. It's raining outside, okay. Different time. <laughs> Wait, are these poems? These are poems. <laughs> I thought you were trying to tell stories, but these are actually poems, and they're kind of good. You're kind of an amazing poet. Maybe we should self-publish an anthology of your poetry and just call it, it was a different time. <laughs> the poems. Like, I could blurb it for you. Quote, these little bits and pieces of his life are just vague enough to make you wonder what it was like to be him during the times he doesn't really tell you about. <laughs> Unquote, Mark Marin, stand-up comic, podcaster, his girlfriend's son. <laughs> but the point I was trying to make is that the mortality thing, the, the idea of uh, impending death, it, which is you know, pretty, pretty much gonna happen to everyone, it's, it's, it's right there. And I know a lot of you know me and you know my life because you listen to me all the time and you know that during COVID, my partner, my girlfriend, Lynn Shelton, the director, the genius, uh, passed away. She didn't get COVID. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm assuming that's a, a part of recognition. Um, <laughs> thank God she's gone. Jesus. So, shh, take it easy. It'll be okay, I can get right back into the sad tone. <laughs> but she did, she passed away and it was the, the most horrible thing that's ever happened to me and I'm sure to her. And, um, <laughs> it was right there. <laughs> but let's, let, let me get serious. It, it, you know, she, she did die and it, was, and it was a terrible tragedy and, 
the, the truth is, like, I'm a guy who talks about his wife. So I, I, I wasn't clear how that was going to go. How am I going to talk about that? You know, is that ever going to happen? Is there a way to, 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 to make, bring humor to that? Because, you know, I'm not really the kind of guy that's like, she's dead. What are the bits? Let's get going, you know? But, but there was also moments where I'm like, well, maybe I can't do it. Maybe I have to do something more serious. Maybe I have to do maybe a, a Jewish-themed one-man show, you know? Maybe like Mark Maron's Kaddish, A Prayer for the Dead. You know, uh, sort of a black box theater, you know, before the show, there's like Israeli music playing, you know. Dona, 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 dona. Then the lights come up and I just lean into it. Yiskadal, the Yiskadash. People would walk out of that show going, definitely wasn't funny, wasn't funny at all. And I like him, he's funny, but this was very sad. But I'm, I'm glad he did it. He seemed to like really work through some stuff, but not one laugh, not one laugh. I'm not, and I'm not Jewish, so I missed half the references. <laughs> but then I thought, well, maybe how about a TED Talk? People do TED Talks, I could do a TED Talk. How hard is a fucking TED Talk? I just have to get one of those weird, you know, earphone microphones, you know, change my posture a little bit. You know, like everyone dies. I'm gonna die, you're gonna die, we all die. I'm Mark Marin. I'm a comedian. <laughs> but then ultimately what happens is I realize, well, you're just gonna talk about it. You know, somehow or another you figure it out, you're gonna talk about it, and if you know you need to talk about it in a funny way, it'll happen at some point if it's necessary, which it always is. But like, I, I realize, you, you know, in thinking about it, that you know, no one really talks about grief. No one talks about PTSD. No one knows how to process this stuff. Everybody has it. It's just, you know, locked into us. And it's, there's not a conversation. There's not really a cultural conversation around it. And it's difficult. You know, when she died, the only things that really kind of stuck in my head was that, you know, I'm not the victim. You know, she is, and it's horrible. And, you know, this is not unusual. People die in people's lives. Tragedy happens. You hope it doesn't happen to you, but it happens to probably most people. And then the Jewish thing, you know, may her memory be a blessing. These sort of, you know, kept me going. And it was a difficult time to grieve because it was COVID. So, you know, no one could really come by. People reached out, but there was not a lot of, you know, human contact. And I got, I'd be honest with you, uh, I got very tired of uh, crying in front of strangers, my neighbors, because I didn't know them and it was in the paper. And, and this is how I met my neighbors. You know, and, and grief is a fucked up thing. You know, I remember like a, a week after she died, I was just taking my garbage out. And from across the street, I hear, hey, Mark, I'm Troy. I live across the street. How you doing, man? I'm like, not good, dude. It's not good. He's like, yeah, I bet, buddy. I bet. It's fucking terrible. I bet, man. Well, I'm just across the street. I know, man. I see you. You're right there. <laughs> and he just stood there until I stopped crying. And I was like, thanks, man. I feel better, buddy. I feel better. Nice meeting you, dude. It was that moment where I realized, like, it doesn't take much to show up for somebody in grief. And a lot of us, when it happens in our lives, you're like, well, what do I do? What do I say? You don't have to say anything. You barely have to show up. You don't even have to invest emotionally. You just have to be like, how you doing? Wait till they stop crying and go like, okay. And they'll think you're the greatest person in the world. Like, you really showed up for me when I was grieving. I'm like, really? Oh, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> but it was just weird because, you know, it, it was COVID. And I, you know, I just sit on my porch and people I knew would come over and they'd stand in the yard. 
you know, with their mask on. I felt like a, a, a zoo exhibit. It should have just been a sign that said, grieving man. <laughs> and I would just sit there, and people would show up. They'd be like, how you doing? I'm like, not great. We brought food. Slide it into the cage. <laughs> oh, bagels. I like bagels. <laughs> grieving man feeding time. People want to help you. You want to be helped. You want to feel better. You want it to go away, but it doesn't because it happened. And you realize over time that it'll never go away. But people want to help, and you want to feel better. If you have smart friends, you'll get like six copies of the Joan Didion book. <laughs> it seems like there's a group of people that as soon as someone dies, man, the year of magical thinking goes out. And you read it because you want to feel better. And you're like, all right, so her husband died too. Didn't really help me. <laughs> but if you're a creative person, it has another level of despair because you're like, fuck, do I need to start writing now? <laughs> People tell you things that they, want, they think will make you feel better. Like I remember someone told me, I can't remember who it was. They said, uh, hey, man, you know, when, when people die, they don't really leave. You know, their energy is still here. And I'm like, how's that helpful? <laughs> I got used to her in a human form. <laughs> and this person was like, yeah, but just think about it, man. Everyone who has ever died, their energy is still here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but oddly, you know, when you're fucking sad, you'll go mystical. You need it. A couple days after that guy told me that, I'm just sitting on my porch and a hummingbird came right up to my head, just like, and I'm like, oh my God, Lynn, Lynn, you're a hummingbird now. Of course you are. That makes so much sense. <laughs> I miss you, baby. I can't believe you're a hummingbird. What's that like? That's crazy. And then the next day there were like four hummingbirds. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Which one is Lynn? Who's Lynn? Is this like Lynn and her new dead friends? Is this what happens? When people die, they just become birds of one kind or another? That's going to disappoint some Christians. <laughs> Everything it will be amazing when you're a bird. <laughs> Put some money in the jar. But the bird thing kind of stuck because, like, at some point, like, a bird, you know, built a nest right above where I walk into my house. And they just shit so much. It's, like, astounding. <laughs> if you really just take a minute to think, like, how much do birds shit? It's a lot. <laughs> and, it, and I had to be careful walking into my house because the bird was shitting. And at some point, I said, hey, baby, I, I, I'm not going to forget you. Is there a different way <laughs> that we can do this? You know, I still have the hat and stuff. And... The, the shit thing's kind of tired, I think. <laughs> but look, I miss her, and it's, it's weird when you lose somebody, because it really, you know, it, it, it wakes you up to some, to who you are, really, and, and also how fragile life is. You know, I, you know, maybe love will happen again. I don't know. I'm, I'm not that great at it. I, I just, <laughs> I've, I come from very selfish stock, and... Uh, I don't have the tools necessary to, uh, to really be as open as I'd like. But who knows? It might happen. I might find love again. And um, 
maybe I'll be sleeping with a person I love, having love sex, as opposed to the other kind. Equally as good. Um, <laughs> but maybe I'm having love sex, and, you know, it's beautiful, and the woman I'm, I'm having sex with kind of looks over my shoulder, and she says, why is that hummingbird just hovering out there? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, it's my old girlfriend. She just, I don't know. She just likes to be part of it sometimes. You cool with that? Is she with her friends? Usually there's four of them and <laughs> fucking out of control. I did wonder, like, would I ever be able to be funny about things? But I, I find that, like, you, you know, humor that comes from real darkness is really the best because it, it disarms it. It's elevating to the spirit. It's why I got into comedy, because I'd watch comics, and they would take things that were complicated or horrifying and simplify them and, and sort of make you see them in a different way and, and, and have a laugh. And I, I'm, I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing and necessary. Like, I believe there was probably um, some hilarious people in Auschwitz. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on, it was like all Jews. Are you gonna tell me, <laughs> you can tell me there wasn't one guy where the other Jews were like, are you gonna watch Murray tonight? It's crazy, hilarious. He does all the Nazis, it's hilarious. <laughs> of course there was. I'm sure there's like an Auschwitz joke book written by Jews that no one knows how to publish. What are we going to call it? The Auschwitz joke book by Jews. It's not happening. We can't. It'll be misunderstood. We can't. But I, I do remember the first you know, joke that came to me about Lynn's passing that made me feel better. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll share it with you. The setup is, is heavy. And if you're... Uh, if you're, you're if the fact that you're going to die is triggering to you, you might want to leave for a few minutes. <laughs> All right. So this is a day that a lot of people have had. It's when you have a loved one in the hospital who's fighting for their life. It's a horrible day. Don't wish it on anybody. It's the worst day of your life. You're on the phone with doctors, with friends, with family members, trying to hold on to hope, trying to get information, trying to figure out a way to, to, to stay positive. You know, and at some point... Uh, you know, it turns and it's not going to work out the way that you want it to work out. And about 5.30, 6.30 in the afternoon, you know, the doctor says to me, he says, look, uh, you can come down here and see her if you want. This is peak COVID. No one's in hospitals. Uh, she's probably going to be gone. We're taking her off the machines, but you can come down here and see her. And I was like, What? What do you mean? Do, do people even do that? And he's like, I don't know what people do. I'm just telling you I can make that happen. Like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. I got you know, to call like 12 people to figure out what to do. <laughs> so I start calling people. And I'm like, dude, the doctor just said that I can go see her and she's going to be dead. And they're like, that's fucked up. And I'm like, that's not helpful. <laughs> so I went through about nine of those. <laughs> and finally, I called Michaela Watkins, who's a, a friend of both of ours, great actress. And I go, Michaela, the doctor says I can come see her, but she's going to be dead. And Michaela just goes, oh, you have to do that. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> Sounds terrible. She goes, you would regret not doing that. And I thought, like, you don't really know me, apparently, because <laughs> it sounds like the worst thing I could ever do in my life. And she said, well, it's never going to happen again, and it might be good to do it because there's going to be closure there, and, and you don't really know how it will feel. And it, 
it's an important thing to do. It's an opportunity. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> fuck. So I call the doctor back, and I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm coming down. And he's like, all right, well, I got to give you a heads up. We can't really clean up because the coroner has to sign off on her. I'm like, you're not really selling this. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle it, man. He's like, you, you can handle it. Just come down here, and we'll take care of you. And I'm like, oh, all right. So now it's 1230 at night. I'm driving down to the hospital, and I'm in shock. My girlfriend died. You know, I'm, I'm out of body experience. I'm shattered. I'm totally traumatized. And I'm driving alone to this hospital in the middle of the night. And I get to the hospital, and there's no one in it, just a security guard. I'm like, I'm here. To, he, he says, yeah, I know. And he takes me up to intensive care. Now, like, thank God for nurses. They're real heroes, and they're at this shit. Yeah. Every day. Every day, nurses are dealing with this stuff. And I'm, I'm saying that to preface the fact that the nurses up in the ICU were a little chipper. I don't know why. But <laughs> maybe it was helpful. I don't know. But I, I got up there, and I'm like, hi. And they're like, hi. And I'm like, we, OK. <laughs> And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm here to see Lynn Shelton. They're like, we well, you know, she's, she's just in there. And there's no rooms in an ICU, not at this one. It was dark, and there were just curtains. And they said, she's in there. You know, you go in there, and, you know, take as much time as you want. And I'm like, okay. So I walk in there, and Lynn's there, and she's gone. And I was able to, you know, touch her forehead and, you know, tell her I loved her and cry, you know, for a few minutes. And I, I stayed with her for, for a good five minutes. And, and, and I was like, you know, I felt like, okay. Uh, I'm going to go, you know, and I, I, I say goodbye, and I'm walking out, and I'm thinking, selfie? No, right? <laughs> now, when, when I wrote that joke, I, or when I came up with it, it made me feel so happy. <laughs> but I didn't know what to do with it, you know, so I called the, the darkest comic I know, Dan Vitale, who's since passed, and I said, I told him the joke, and he's like, oh my God, that's amazing. But you can never tell that. And I'm like, I don't know, man, we'll see. I think, I think you know, and I think Lynn would like it, you know, and I, and I held on to that, you know, until I got to Ireland recently. And now it's become unclear. <laughs> I, told, I was doing that bit in Ireland, and, and her and I had, had had a vacation there. It was the only vacation we had taken, and we had an amazing time. We both had a, a deep sort of love for Ireland for whatever reason, because it's amazing. But so I'm in Dublin doing that a show recently, and I do that bit, and the lights in the venue started going on and off. The the the, sh the lights on me started wavering, and everyone in the room was like, "Oh my God!" And I'm like. <laughs> Take it easy. Hi, Lynn. I'm glad you're in Ireland. You love it here. You good? And then it was like, okay. And, and I did, and I thought I took it as a sign that, okay, she likes the jokes. <laughs> wait. But wait. So then I get back to my hotel room, and the, the venue manager said, this never happened before. No, it was Lynn. She's hanging out. So usually she's a bird. So. <laughs> So 
but I get back to my hotel room in Ireland, and I, I go to turn the lamp on, and the bulb goes, and it just doesn't, it goes out. And I'm like, shit, what's up, baby? <laughs> but I'm still holding on to the idea that, no, she likes the jokes. Right? When you're sad, you'll go mystical. So I do them in Texas a few months later. And during the, that bit, the, the mic starts going in and out. And I'm like, well, shit, she came to Texas. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't like the jokes. <laughs> but I thought, if it happens at the HBO taping, I'm definitely never doing them again. <laughs> But look, I, I, she was a, you know, a big supporter of mine, and I loved her, and, and I miss her. So rest in peace, Lynn Shelton. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, you know I, I do try to focus on gratitude uh, to some degree when I can. And I have no kids, and it's amazing. Um, <laughs> It really is. It's, uh, I can't even begin to tell you, if you have them, what, what, how amazing it would have been if you didn't. <laughs> and I think even 10 years ago, a 59-year-old man on stage saying he didn't have kids, a lot of people would be like, oh, but I think that paradigm is shifting a little bit. <laughs> I think there are people that are like, oh, God, good for you. Jesus, I, what a mistake. I don't know why people have them. I have nothing against them, but it really seems that people don't know that they don't have to have them. <laughs> like something just clicks on and they're like, I guess it's time. It's like, doesn't have to be. You're human, you can decide. You're not a dog, it's not based on a smell. Think about it. <laughs> but I just, I never thought about having them. I never really wanted to have them. And, and people, you know, say to me, you know, like, well, don't you get lonely? I'm like, I do. I, I get very lonely, but I never think like a kid would make this better. You know, <laughs> I've had two wives, and I got no kids. It takes a, a special kind of asshole <laughs> to have two wives and no kids. I think my my second wife put it like this: You think I'm bringing children into this? <laughs> uh, it was a different time. Look, if you have love in your heart and you want to bring a kid in the world because you want to spread that love or whatever the way it is, <laughs> and that's your impulse, that's your reason, good, do it. You know, uh, you know how, I think it's a beautiful thing. But if you, if you have nothing but like a weird void where your heart should be and you think like a kid will fill this, <laughs> maybe don't do it. Maybe don't. Because that void will be passed along. For generations, you can't stop the void from moving. You can now track your void on 23andMe. My void started in the chest of a tailor's wife in Belarus in the 1850s, in the Pale of Settlement. It was, uh, it was a, it's a 99.9% .9 Ashkenazi void. And you've all been sitting in it for an hour now.
people had children during the pandemic. What kind of <laughs> cynical, selfish weirdos saw that as an opportunity to start a family? Like, there's no cure, there's no vaccine, and people are like, let's have a baby. What if we all die? Then we'll die as a family. I think we should do it. <laughs> At some point, those plague babies are going to want answers. They're going <laughs> to they're they're know what it was like before they were born. And some dad is going to have to step up and be like, all right, son, I think you're ready to hear this. You're five. Before you were born, there was a horrible disease that was spreading around the world. It killed millions of people, and there was no cure and no medicine for it, and we couldn't leave the house. Your mother and I were stuck in the house for a long time. <laughs> we had to have food delivered. It was dark and scary. You just couldn't leave the house, and then eventually you had to. You just had to get out, and you had to wear gloves and a mask and a visor. Yeah, kind of like a superhero, like, a, like an angry superhero that just needed some space. And then your mom started making bread. I don't know why. <laughs> There's a lot of bread being made. It was like a bakery at the house, sometimes two, three loaves a day. Sometimes she'd walk into the living room with a loaf and say, I don't think this one turned out, but we can still eat it. And I ate it because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. It was a dark time. <laughs> then puzzles started coming. There were puzzles coming. <laughs> yeah, I don't like puzzles. You don't like puzzles, do you? They're terrible, right? I know, right? Hundreds of puzzles, it seemed like. We're doing puzzles all the time. We're watching movies we'd seen like five times. We're eating bread. It's the worst. It was terrible. And then, you know, she starts drinking wine. And I'm like, all right, if she's going to do it, I'll drink scotch. And at some point, I just think we stopped loving each other. And I think that would be honest with you. I was Zooming with a woman from work. and uh, But I couldn't act on it. I don't know what she was doing. It was just bad. And... You know, we were fighting and drinking and eating bread, and one time we were just yelling at each other, we're crying, and it, it was very sad, and we didn't know what to do, and, you know, I kicked over a puzzle because I was mad, and I don't know, we just ended up having sex on the floor right on the puzzle pieces, and puzzle pieces were sticking to us. I don't know, well, that's, that's when we made you. Oh, shit, I think she's here. Do you have all your stuff? Where's your iPad? Is it in your backpack? She's coming. Just go. I don't want to talk. Just go out there. Go. She's getting out of the car. Go out there. Do you have everything? I love you. I'll talk to you in a week. Don't tell her what I told you. Go. Get out there. She's coming. That's a one-man show called Plague Baby. Thank you. That'll be running in repertory with uh, Voices from the Future and Mark Maron's Cottage, A Prayer from the Dead, in the <laughs> evening of one act, when they are all published in the same volume from the Samuel French Publishing Company. <laughs> the other reason I'm happy I don't have kids is I have friends my age who have grown kids, grown-ups. And if I haven't seen that friend in a while and I ask him how his kids are, never a great story. I mean, it's like... 70% of the time, it's not a good story. So, hey, man, long time. How you been? I'm dealing. You know how it is. Yeah, man, me too. How are the kids? Well, you know, one of them's doing great. 
But the other one, I don't know, kind of got away from us. I don't know what the fuck happened. I, I don't know if it's anyone's fault, but fuck them. I've had it. Got a guy out there looking for him again. It's just bullshit. It's killing his mother. I can't fucking take it. Fuck that kid. But, but his sister's doing great. Just got into a good school. Thanks for asking. That sounds terrible. You know how it is, and I don't. And then they always ask me the same thing if they know me, and I can't help but hear it as condescending, where they're like, oh, that's right. You still got cats? How are those cats doing? <laughs> but in, in my head, I'm always like, go fuck yourself. You think you're a better man than me because you have human kids? <laughs> like, that makes you more responsible, more evolved, a better human. Go fuck yourself. I have three cats that I love, and in the best case scenario, I'm gonna have to have them all killed. <laughs> I'm gonna have to kill my friends. And I knew it going in, that's how big my heart is. You can't have your drug-addled son put down, can you? No matter how much you want to, you can't walk into a veterinarian's office and just say, I think it's time. <laughs> he's not grooming himself, he's barely eating. Can't keep his head up, there we go, there we go. <laughs> this is a veterinarian's office. We don't do people, I'm like, Doc, I got cash, how much would it take? Just help me out, do me a favor. His mother thinks he's dead already, can you just, Bring him in back, knock him out, burn him up, put him in a box, and if you want, you give me the handprint on the paper. <laughs> you kind of got to go all the way with that one. I'm sorry. I. Uh... Yeah, man, it's because I'm an anti-woke comedian. So, I uh, almost bought a gun recently. <laughs> My friends are like, what, just for home protection? I'm like, I don't know, it just feels like it's time. <laughs> what do you mean? When they come around looking for Jews who have had HBO specials, <laughs> yeah. I just want to go down shooting, that's all. I don't think I'll win. I just want to go down shooting. That's my right as an American. That's what the Second Amendment's all about. It's like, it's not about gun ownership. It's about going down shooting. <laughs> I currently have a bat. <laughs> I'm a grown man with my own house on the second floor in his own bedroom with a bat next to his bed <laughs> that you can see. Like I live in a dorm room. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think I could hit a guy with a bat, <laughs> let alone shoot a guy with a gun. I mean, if you're gonna hit a guy with a bat, you better have hit a guy with a bat before. <laughs> or you're just gonna end up getting hit with your own bat. That's how that's gonna go. And it's, <laughs> and it's gonna happen very quickly, and you're not even gonna understand how. You're just like, get the fuck out! 
What's happening? Why am I running in my house? Ow! And I have an alarm system. I have a very expensive multi-laser alarm system that protects the gemstone I have in my foyer. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a, a gift from George Soros. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the bonus level, you know, when you <laughs> replace a certain number. <laughs> but even with the alarm, if I hear something in my house, I'll pick up that bat upstairs in my boxers and I'll pick it up and walk around. And a voice comes out of me that only comes out of me when I'm holding a bat. And I'll do it for you, but brace yourself. It's intense. <laughs> What's going on down there? <laughs> Who's down there? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Right. If you were breaking into my house, you'd take, you'd take pause. Holy shit, you hear that, man? That guy means business. <laughs> Sounds like he's got a bat up there. <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. That's definitely bat voice. <laughs> I'm coming down there. He won't. <laughs> Not that guy. <laughs> Let's just take the juice stone and get out of here. But I'll be honest with you, I, I like having the bat because it's, it's good. It's, a bat is good. Be, look, I'll, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm a, a moody person. I have good days. I have bad days, you know. But in my heart, I know that no matter how bad my day is, I'm never going to look at a bat and think, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> Because that would take some time <laughs> and a level of commitment I don't think I have. <sighs> Fuck it, man. Fuck this shit. Fucking done with it, man. Fuck this life, man. I don't want to live anymore. God damn it. Oh, fuck. I feel better. Wow. That was great. I think that's all I needed. I gotta remember that. I gotta remember that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.